Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Oh, look, at, look at Mikey. Look at that. Ephesians chapter 3. If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to get in the Word of God here. Hallelujah. You can go on to my name now. Oh, they're doing lights. They're doing, we, got, we have people working things out right now. We get some training in the house of God happening. We're close. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places this is the word of the Lord amen 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 thank you Mikey thank you Chris amen 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 and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Welcome, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us today in the house of God. And uh, today, as you may know, is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent started this uh, past Wednesday with Ash Wednesday and all the heathens celebrated the Tuesday before with Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, if you don't know how all this goes together, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of a 40-day period between Ash Wednesday uh, leading up to Good Friday, not including the Sundays. So it's 40 days, not counting the Sundays, up until Good Friday. And during uh, Lent, this season uh, of Lent, historically throughout the church, what we do is we prepare for the resurrection of the Lord. And what we do is, since many people are raised in the church or born into the church, we can just take all of salvation for granted. We just forget how much we need Jesus. And so what people do during Lent is you give something up that makes you remember your need for the Lord. So you may give up sweets or give up meat or give up a certain activity so that every time you desire to do that, you remember you're not doing it so you can remember how much you need the Lord. Now, here's how religion becomes codified in a society. So it was so big that people would celebrate Lent. People began to dread having to give something up. And so leading up to Lent, what they would say is, I'm going to do a little bit more stuff leading up to Lent because I know in Lent it's a time of mourning. And it got to the point where now we have Fat Tuesday, which is the day before Lent. And people are like, well, I got to be holy for 40 days, so I might as well act like the devil now on Tuesday. And so you, you just, if you understand the mind frame and just how kind of crazy that whole notion is, you know, I'm about to give something up for God, so I might as well serve the devil here for a day. That's just, that's not, I would rather you give up nothing for Lent than act like a devil on Tuesday. Does that, does that make sense? It, that's not the point. The point of the holiday is not to be miserable, it's to remember the Lord. And churches all over the world use this time to forego something in their lives to remind them 
of Christ. So in this season, if you decide to partake in this, I want you to know that you are connected to believers all over the planet doing the same thing. Now, historically, uh, in the last several years, we have celebrated Lent as a time of prayer and fasting here at Revival Life Church. I didn't grow up in a tradition that celebrated this. Uh, I grew up a heathen, so I didn't celebrate anything other than uh, Christmas, but we didn't even, that wasn't even about Jesus, right? Uh, but once I got saved, I don't, I don't come from a tradition. I'm sorry, my mic is all kind of messed up. I'm going to mess with it a little bit here to try to make it not sound too bad. Forgive me for that. Um, I, I didn't grow up celebrating Lent. Most of my Christianity, we didn't necessarily observe Lent. In the last several years, it's been kind of a big deal. Uh, but what my job as the pastor of Revival Life Church is to, number one, hear God about what we are to do as a community. I'm to have one eye on the community that I shepherd, one eye on what God is doing, and then a third eye, I suppose, on what's happening in the community at large in in light of the scriptures and try to figure out what God is speaking to our community. And, And while we are here in this time of Lent, it's important to remember that we just finished 21 days of prayer and fasting, which I found particularly rich this year. And so we just come off prayer and fasting. Now we're coming into Lent. Now, uh, last year, uh, I gave up a couple things for Lent. I know many people got involved in that. One of the things I gave up, just as way of just kind of thinking what you might do if you decide to participate in this side of Lent, is I, I decided to drink my coffee black all of Lent. So, so some people are like, what, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, if it means something to you, it will mean something to God. Hear what I'm saying. There's very, uh, there's formulas on fasting that are out there, and God doesn't honor any formulas. He honors your heart. And if it means something to you, it will mean something to God. 21 days of fasting doesn't unlock something that 18 days doesn't, right? It's, it's, if it means something to you, it will mean something to God. By far, as you study the scriptures, the majority of fasts that are held in scriptures are from sunup to sundown. Very rarely do they do 24-hour fasts. Extremely rarely do you see extended fasts that we see in a lot of um, charismatics or Pentecostals who do 21 days, 40 days. I've done very extended fasts myself. And if you, if the Lord leads you into that, do it obey Jesus. Uh, but I gave up sweetener, but among many things um, that were between me and the Lord, and I believe God met me in that. But this year, I felt kind of funny because as we were coming into Lent, I was like, Lord, you had just called us to a 21-day fast earlier in the year, and uh, your calendar says that uh, well, there's a, there's, I don't want to do 21 and then 40. I mean, I'm like, like how much do we... What's going on here? You know, I'm not a desert father. I'm right here in Boca and like, uh, what's going on? And, uh, and, uh, the Lord was like, well, yeah, I, I got a little different direction for you in this season. And I feel, um, uh, sometimes when the Lord speaks to us differently to give us something easier, it's actually more difficult. Uh, in the Old Testament, you weren't allowed to kill anybody. In the New Testament, he didn't talk a lot about killing people. He talked a lot about not hating people. And I think, I don't want to say it's easier to not hate than to not kill because I've gone this far in my life without killing anybody, right? I've, I've managed to make it this long, uh, and I'm pretty sure I'll die having not killed anybody. But it's far, more, it's far more difficult to regulate your heart at times. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so the Lord spoke to me 
about the fast he's calling this house to in this next 40 days. And I would challenge you, if this is the house that God has added you to, that you would lean into this, take note of this, maybe take a picture and, uh, and, 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 and lean into it. If you would, my next slide, please. Uh, this next one here. Throw it up. There you go. He's told us to give up pessimism, self-loathing, negativity, isolation, and hopelessness. Pessimism, self-loathing, negativity, isolation, and hopelessness. Now, I think that if we look at this list, we can say that he wants us to stop being negative in general, right? Don't come up with ways that don't technically meet this list and say, I'm allowed to sit in depression because that wasn't on the list. No, we are to fight these negative... He doesn't say, I, you know, I can't despise my neighbor, so I'm going to go ahead. And speaking of which, we were, we were worshiping, and, and I just found it, um, I found it funny in the midst of the song we were singing. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're talking about praise, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And he talks about everything that, 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 that praise does. I'll praise on the mountain. I'll praise when I'm sure. I'll praise when I'm doubting. Praise when I'm outnumbered. Praise when I'm surrounded. And then there's this funny little line. Because praise is the waters my enemies drown in. <laughs> I find every time I hear that line, <laughs> I laugh a little bit. Uh, because we talk about, you know, God, I thank you that you're so wonderful that in the midst of me being thankful to you, you're killing everybody who doesn't like me. And, um, and, and, and to some of us, we're like, thank you, Jesus. You've given me license to call for the death of those who hate me. And that's not exactly, it's calling back to the Exodus story. It's calling back to praise floods out this stuff in my life right here. It's very hard to be hopeless while meditating on the testimony of God. It's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to remember what God has done and stay negative without understanding that you're in sin. Hear, hear what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not judging anybody to hell with what I'm, by saying sin. I'm, but I'm saying God, He wants to not just change your life. He wants to change your mind frame. He wants to change how we interact with the world around us. And so we're starting a new message series today entitled The Beloved Community. The Beloved Community. Here's what God wants. God wants in the midst of all these things that we are fasting, He wants us to remain hopeful. And today, this is going to be more of a preach than a teach. I'll be preaching a whole lot more in the coming weeks. Uh, when I got my message from God, uh, I said, Lord, this is kind of short. And he said, don't worry about it. Uh, and then I didn't realize he was going to move during worship. And, and, and he wants us to be a community of hope. And he started off this message series with reminding us of what he's doing among us and healing people in our midst. This is God kind of showing off of what the beautiful, the beloved community looks like. Now, one of my favorite scriptures uh, is, Now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope 
by the power of Holy Spirit. I want to abound in hope. I want hope to be overflowing from my life. I want the people who get around me to feel courageous towards the things that they are fighting. I want people to come to me and be encouraged, meaning that they have a courage when they walk away from me that they didn't have before they talked to me. And I believe this is God's heart for the church. God wants a church that is courageous enough to know that God is going to come into this world and change their circumstance through them. And in that, if we're going to remain hopeful, we're going to have to give up some things that rob us of our hope. You see, when you are saved, the Bible says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Once you receive Holy Spirit, that is a down payment of your eventual full salvation. We're not fully saved until we finish this life and we're saved from the judgment of sin and death. At that point, we will spend eternity in the presence of God. And between now and then, one of our primary roles as a believer is to guard our hope. The devil wants to discourage you more than anything else. If he can get you discouraged, then every other lie has room in your heart. As soon as you give up on God, all of a sudden, God's power is muted in our lives. And once we give up on God's church, all of a sudden we're cut off from the agency that God wants to use to change the world. And so one more time, if you would go, my my slides are... Somehow moving on me here. Ready? We're going to go forward to my list again. And so we're giving up pessimism, self-loathing, negativity, isolation, and hopelessness. We're going to give these things up for Lent. Hopefully, this will do something in your life that will cause you to give them up for good. You may actually experience a healing as you choose to lean into this. Does this make, is anybody with me that we're going to lean into this in this season? See, amen, 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 amen. When we lean into who God is, when we lean into the truth of who God is, all of a sudden we see the world differently. We see the world as it is. And what the enemy wants to highlight is different than what God wants us to see in the world. And we have talked a lot recently about being able to see things differently than the world sees them, where the world has no hope, the world has no uh, vision, the world has no uh, forethought of what is going on, the world is trying to piece together people where they can uh, uh, fashion together some sort of framework for how to navigate. When we're walking with the Lord, we have the knowledge that the God who is outside of time knows what's coming and is preparing us for it, even if he hasn't told us what's coming. We have the, the, no, the knowledge, the understanding, and we are re- too much more today. All right? Are we good? Sorry about that. So we have the ability, you, got, you guys are able to make sure all the, the mics are off, but we'll, 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 we'll lock me in. Uh, we, we, have the, um, we have the ability to tap into the God who has all wisdom, all knowledge, all love, all goodness, holding all things together so that we
can flourish in this life with Him. And we are called to something greater than what the world sees. And this is what I'm calling. Can you put up my series graphic, please? This is what is called the beloved community. Put, put up the series graphic. There you go. The beloved community. Now, this, this uh, can you give me just a little bit more without the feedback? I just feel like I'm talking to myself up here. I want to make sure everybody can hear me. Amen. Do I need to switch to the handheld or are we good? Think we're good? All right. So the beloved community, I want to give you a little, little background on this, this, this phrase because it carries uh, a pretty strong punch. Uh, a man named, uh, a theologian named Royce in the, around 1908 wrote a book who was trying to say that this beloved community is where people can be healed and fully actualized, but it's not actually possible in the church because the church is filled with people. Right, And since there are people in the church, this is just something that we can imagine, something that we can fantasize about, but not something we can actually take part in. When Martin Luther King uh, came along, he made the beloved community uh, uh, one of his phrases. He made the phrase popular. Now, most people, when you think about Martin Luther King, most Americans know three things about Martin Luther King. They know that uh, he was assassinated. Uh, we know that um, the Selma boycott, most likely, and they know his I Have a Dream speech on Washington. They know very little beyond that, except for the things that some people want to focus on that take away from his legacy. What most people don't know about Martin Luther King is that he has a very rich theological education before he ever became a well-known preacher. He got his bachelor's at Morehouse, and then he got his degree in divinity, and then he went on to get his PhD in systematic theology at Boston University. And he came to articulate a theology of what he called the beloved community. He had a vision for the church that was beyond what the church saw for herself in that day and age. This wasn't just some social gospel that we can all be better people and, and, and us being good people, doing good things would change the world. What, what many people today don't give Martin Luther King credit for is that he was first a theologian. Second, he was a pastor. Third, he was an activist. But he said that all of his activism and all of his ministry in the world was an extension of his pastoral ministry to see the church of Jesus Christ become what Christ envisioned. Though he did minister to the world and changed the course of American history, his main goal was to see the church of Jesus Christ become who she was supposed to be. This, again, wasn't just some social gospel that we hear preached today. Today, we hear a gospel that says God's number one plan is that everyone is happy. And we got to change the church, however that takes, to make everybody feel welcome in the church. Now, we want to be a church where people feel welcome and feel uh, uh, invited to come 
and meet Jesus. But the ultimate goal is that people would meet Jesus and become part of the church of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Because when we're truly being transformed into the likeness of Christ, all this transformation that we hope for people begins to happen organically by the power of Holy Spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you, Amen, amen. When you become part of the church, something happens in you and through you that your life begins to change. Then the church can go out and do good works. Uh, One of my personal heroes and many in this room is Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker is a missionary in Africa who just saw the, the poorest nation in the world, Mozambique, become just absolutely transformed by the power of God's love. And she was, she and her husband were just missionaries to the poorest nation on the earth. And they would just sit in the streets, minister to the children. And just by the power of love, revival broke out in Mozambique. And tens of thousands of churches were planted in Mozambique. Tens of thousands of orphans were taken in. Every miracle you could ever imagine happened. And eventually... Uh, she started a, a mission school, and people from all over the world would come to study missions and be empowered by Holy Spirit and would be sent out, and they would move to the four corners of the earth, planting missions bases, taking in orphans, uh, uh, ministering to children, uh, starting church communities. But then a problem began to happen. Over time, Iris Ministries found that many people would go to foreign lands, and they were really good at taking in orphans, not so good at starting churches. And they saw this tendency that, hey, wait a minute, we're running a bunch of orphanages, but we're not actually running churches. We have Christians taking care of the lost, which is great, but we're not seeing churches planted. And then all of Iris Ministries had to recalibrate their ministry model to say, wait a minute, we're not here to promote a social gospel. We're here to plant the gospel of Jesus Christ, which causes people to radically love the poor, to give their lives up to help them so that these people can meet Jesus and have their lives really changed. Amen. We can help people through acts of charity, through acts of service, through acts of love, and their lives will get better. And I believe Jesus will be honored through it. But ultimately, for our destinies to be changed, we have to meet Jesus. We have to give our lives to the Lord, and we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of us. What she was saying was, we're planting good communities, but we're not planting beloved communities. We're not planting communities that are the beloved of the Lord. We're just planting communities of people who are doing good works. And in this message series, The Beloved Community, I want to talk about the beloved community that I believe Jesus is planting right here in Boca Raton in South Florida through us. And I want to talk about some of the beloved communities that I believe that we're going to send out from this place. People who are going to go out and do amazing things for Jesus, either in the marketplace or in the church space, that Jesus could be glorified on the earth. Amen? Amen. 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 When Martin Luther King began to um, study and answer the call to ministry, he began teaching what was considered a radical notion early in the 20th century, that the agape love that we receive from the person of God 
could be embodied in a community and change the world. This is the difference with King's theology. He not only sought a people of color to come up, he also wanted white people to come up. And I want you to hear this. This is, if we don't get this, we're not going to understand Martin Luther King. We're not going to understand what Jesus came to do. And we're not going to understand our call. Now, Martin Luther King, of course, was an African-American who was in the South in a time that it's really hard to connect with. Can we be honest? When you look at segregation America, not even slavery America, that's beyond anything we can think or imagine. Like We can't fathom a world where people with a clear conscience would own another human being and use them as a tool. We can't, we can't wrap our brain around that fully. Uh, but it's hard just to wrap our brain around a nation that openly segregates against people based on the melanin of their skin, right? That's difficult for us to understand. And King, of course, came up in this community where we look at it as he sought to free black people from the curse of segregation and the Jim Crow South. And yes, absolutely that is true, but that was not his full mission. And this is where you're going to have to lean into agape love to understand. Almost as much as King preached about the need for African Americans and people of color to be freed from their oppression, he preached that white people need to be freed of the oppression of the devil that made them think this was okay. Amen. He viewed, he viewed those wicked people that he would name by name who ran these programs in the South, the governors, the, the, the sheriffs, the congressmen. He named them by name and then called out their ailment that the enemy has these people trapped in a mindset of hatred that keeps them from truly embodying the love of God. And he prayed that they would be delivered from this demonic oppression so they could fully also embody the imagio Dei, the image of God that they were created in. So he saw not only the oppressed as being unable to fully realize their potential, he saw the oppressor equally oppressed and unable to embody their potential because of not human oppression, but demonic oppression. Now, before you get offended at me, I want to make this very, very clear. He wasn't giving anybody a pass. This is not saying if you are an evil person, you get to blame it on the devil. And if you get delivered, then all of a sudden you become... That's not what he was saying. He was saying that we have a choice. We must choose nonviolence and we must choose love. He was saying that if you are oppressed, you cannot react in violence because now you are choosing the oppressor. And if you are in power, you cannot choose violence to keep other people down. You must choose love and bring other people up. Is that making sense? And so King was not just, just a person who sought to get the African-American more power in America. He sought to see America to come into its call that we would love one another, that liberty and justice would be realized for all. And you are not living in liberty and justice while you're living as an oppressor. Truly, liberty and justice encourages and enables us all to walk in power. Can you say amen? amen? 
And, and so, and so in, in, this, uh, in this series, I want you to understand that hatred does not give up easily. King said as much. He talked about how hatred and violence, once you try to get free from it, uh, the, the oppressors do not give up their oppression easily. Now, it's easy for us to see that when there are systems of people who are oppressing other people, we see that oppressors work hard to stay in oppressive systems, right? Uh, we don't necessarily see that the enemy that we have empowered in our lives works hard to stay in power. And once we make a step towards righteousness, how he throws everything at us to fall back under that oppression that he has given us. So to use America, just because just it's an easy illustration, not to harp on this, uh, but if you were in the 50s, uh, you don't necessarily want, uh, if you're a, a, a white man, you don't necessarily want people of color to come and compete with you in the workplace. You want to keep your place of privilege. Also, now, in, in, in this day and age, if you are a person who is oppressed by the enemy, you don't, the enemy doesn't want to let you free so you can start competing with it for the voice and for God to compete with the voice in your head. He wants to maintain his control. That's why you're like, man, it's so hard to do the right thing because you only know how to do the wrong thing. It's going to take a little bit of work for that oppressor to get free. And as King uh, 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 mapped out this idea of the beloved community. I want to quote from him uh, from a speech where he was mapping this out. He said this. He said, freedom never comes easy. Can you say amen to that? Freedom never comes easy. It comes through hard labor and it comes through toil. It comes through hours of despair and disappointment. And that's the way it goes. There is no crown without a cross. I wish we could get to Easter without going to Good Friday, but history tells us that we got to go to Good Friday before we can get to Easter. That's the long story of freedom, isn't it? Before you get to Canaan, you got a trip to the Red Sea to confront. You have a hardened heart of Pharaoh to confront. You have a prodigious hilltop of evil in the wilderness to confront. And even when you get up to the promised land, you have giants in the land. The beautiful thing about it is that there are few people who have been over in the land. They've spied enough to say, even the giants are there. We can possess the land because we got the internal fiber to stand up amid anything we have to face. The road to freedom is difficult and it's a hard road. Can you say amen? Now, I, I take risks in quoting a preacher that good in the midst of my message because anything I say now doesn't measure up. But he's MLK, right? And, I, I, you know, it is what it is. But for the next few weeks, I want to talk about, in light of this fight, to create the beloved community. And some of us have sensed that fight here in Boca Raton to create a beloved community where, where, where wealth, where status does not dictate where you are in life, where you could be everything you are actualized to be in South Florida. You could be the prettiest, the richest, the wealthiest, the, the most handsome, the, the strongest, whatever. And then we come here into the house of God and we're all equal before Jesus. This is, this is, this is counter cultural. What you are doing right here on a Sunday morning is counter-cultural 
discipleship. We choose to sit among people that we may think we're better than or less than in the world, but this brings us back to the center, to realizing I'm no better than anybody else. We're all created equal before God. Amen. And so very briefly now, I'm going to finish much earlier than normal because we ministered earlier. Uh, we are, I'm not, not anytime soon, so don't get too excited. <laughs> Uh, you can get your money's worth. Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're going to talk, we're going to look at this in light of the beloved community. And what is the church we're building in South Florida? Now, let me say this. Anytime we talk about the church, uh, I have to recognize that the church has problems. Uh, and in the last several years, if you've been in church a while, you've seen some of the warts come to life. And many people, when they think of the church, the first thing they think are church hurt. There are many people in here with church hurt. I have church hurt. You have church hurt. We have church hurt. But you know what I also have? I have mommy issues. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to give my kids a mother. Amen? I'm not going to say, well, you know, moms can cause problems, so we're just going to let you be an orphan. Right? Like, we don't, we don't do that. We're like, well, the family, it, like, no matter how messed up your family was you grew up in, it's better than being raised by wolves. Right? It's, it's better than being homeless. It's, it's like, like, this is, it's better than nothing. And the church of Jesus Christ, with all its warts and all its issues, is better than nothing. It is better than the alternative of no Christ community. So I'm going to talk um, a, a, a few minutes about what, what the church is. Uh, you know, this is the church, Revival Life Church. There's a church universal, and then there's a local church. And first thing I want to tell you is that churches are different because people are different. Churches are different because people are different. The, our church looks like what it looks like because who we are is different than the church down the street. We're a multicultural church. If you are looking for a homogenous church that grew up listening to the music you listen to and understands all your friends, references, you're at the wrong church, right? Because I don't know any of them. I didn't watch it, right? Uh, this, is, this is the church that you're in. If you are in South Florida, I feel this is a multicultural area. And, and there's nowhere you're going to go in South Florida and it be all one culture and be healthy, in my opinion. And so the church, and, and I hate to break it to some people, when you get to heaven, it's not all going to look like you right? Heaven is going to be every color, every creed, every language. Uh, people like to think, and when we come into Christ, we're all going to be the same. We're all going to have this kind of Europeanized, colonialized identity. But when I read the book of Revelation, it says that there's going to be people of every language and tongue. That means we're still going to have our ethnicity in heaven. You don't need to give up your ethnicity to come to Jesus. You get to be you. And we want to be a house where it's okay to be you, a Christian version of you, uh, but, but, but the real you that Jesus intended, hello, but you, Woo, thank you, Jesus, I get to be, no, 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 not that. But the church is different because people are different, and we're going to speak authoritatively about the things that are biblical in each uh, culture and community because there is a part of God's nature in every community. Another thing I want to talk about is that the church is a gathering of a community who practice a life of resurrection 
in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. This, this, uh, I wrote this along with Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson did most of the heavy work. I did a little editing. Uh, but this is, this, is the, uh, this is the definition that he and I came up with. Church is the gathering of a community who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. And so what is it like to practice as a community the resurrection, the resurrection life? We're going to talk about that in this series. And, and the other thing I want to tell you is we belong to a local church, but there is a church that is universal. There is the large church that is the church the world over. Uh, there, there's a church right up the street that way. There's a church right up the street that way. I mean, there's a church in the next building. There's churches all over in South Florida. Uh, we share a parking lot with one. I was in uh, North Florida one time, and I was talking to somebody. And like, I have a friend who's a church in Boca. I was like, really? Who, who is it? They named the pastor. And I was like, we share a parking lot. Like, I know them. I know them. I don't speak their language, but I do know them. They're good people from what I understand. Uh, there is a universal church, and so we can kind of get our blinders on and think that this is the church, and while this is probably the best church, uh, this is not the only church in South Florida. Uh, this is not the only church in Florida. It's not the only church in America. It's not the only church in the world. There is one church, the church universal, but Jesus also talks about uh, local expressions of that church in his word. And so there is a local church. And, and so in this series, we're going to talk about what is the church, what should be happening at church. And uh, to answer some of that, uh, oh, let me see, there's the church universal. And I'm sorry, I said this, but I didn't put it up. The church is universal, but the church is also local. And let me say this, uh, there's a trend nowadays for online church and Facebook church, and I belong to a church in a different state, and I'm like, no, you don't actually belong to that church at all. If you don't have a pastor, I, I, I've, and I'm, this is just me ranting a little bit, uh, there was a pastor I was talking to who was so excited that somebody uh, joined their church in another state, and they got saved, and they needed to be water baptized, and so what they did was they had him put his phone in his bathroom, and he dunked himself in the bathtub. I'm like, that's, that's so far disconnected from what anybody who ever wrote anything in this book had in mind. This is, I mean, just tell me you have no theology of baptism. Just, 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 just that's not, like church are people that you may not get along with that you go and sit next to anyways. That is part of the church. That's part of being in church. That's, you have that, that, that person who is always has something negative to say. You have the person who's annoyingly positive, right? You have the person who is annoyingly optimistic. You have the person who, who, who texts you um, asking about your prayer requests. You have the person who forgot you ever had a prayer request. Like, that is the church. That's the, like, the, the church is local. The church is local. And so I'm going to, I'm going <clears> to, I'm going to, kind of go through a few things of what the church is, then we're going to worship and be the church. That's our plan for today. We're going to say another song, we're going to worship, and we're going to believe that God does move through the church. Now, there's a way of doing theology that the Orthodox do theology. It's called, it's called apophatic theology. Oh, look, she put it up for me. Apophatic theology is saying what God is not, right? And that might sound negative to you, but... Um, if we say what God is not, we actually see it in the Bible. We know that God says that he is not a man 
that he should lie. Amen. That tells us something about God, right? God is not a man that he should lie. The Bible also says that God is not the author of confusion. So, it, so amen. Eh? So I'm, in, I'm confused. The enemy has somewhere in my head. That is not who God is. Also, it says that God is not a respecter of persons. If he healed Miriam's headache, there's hope for my headache. Amen? Because she didn't earn it. I can't earn it. If God's in the neighborhood, the blessing is coming my way. Amen? The Bible says God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, he shall yeah, so you live like a fool, your life's going to be like a fool, right? Like that's, 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 that's just it. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he shall reap. And this is one of my favorites here. I'm going to put it in the message version. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. God's not finished. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. In the message, it says it like this. God's not finished. He's waiting around to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show mercy to you. And to that, I say, amen. Amen. I'll use the message when it serves my purposes, right? And so I say, amen. God's not finished with me yet. So that's those are examples of apophatic theology, saying what God is not. God is not finished. So we're going to talk about a few things about the church is not. The first thing, the church is not a club or an interest group. Now, a club or an interest group are a bunch of people who are gathered around the same opinion. Uh, I am part of a sports interest group. I follow a certain team on uh, Go Gators because I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, and (laughs) Jesus loves Florida Gators, and so I'm in in line with the prophetic word of the... No, I just went to Florida. So I'm a Florida Gators fan, right? And so when you're in these fan forums... If those of you who are, who've ever operated in fan forums, there's always people who are very negative and people are like, why are you here? If you don't actually like the, if you think the coach is terrible and the players are terrible and the season's going to be terrible, why are you here? This is a fan forum, right? We're going to be for this thing. What you're doing is weird, right? Like go be a fan of something else. Like the people who are hating on Taylor Swift, like, Taylor sings songs and lots of women are happy. Why is that upsetting you? If you're not a fan, just stop watching her. It's, it's really easy. It's really easy not to watch Taylor Swift. Just don't watch. Don't be a hater. Like what? I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But the church is not a club or an interest group. As a matter of fact, there's Democrats in this room and there's Republicans in this room. If these were all Republicans, we would be a special interest group. If they were all Democrats, this would be an interest group. It wouldn't be the church. There's people in here who love popcorn at night. There's other people who like chocolate at night, right? There's people who have one view of whether or not you can have a glass of wine. And people who, there are things that we believe that are different than one another. That is not what we're about. We're not about a special interest. We're about Jesus. We can gather as a people who follow Jesus as the church of Jesus Christ and have loving, honest conversations about things that we disagree on because we are not a club or a special interest group. If you show up at the bowling club with a softball bat, it's going to be weird, 
right? Because you come with a softball. But you could show up here with questions. You can come up here with concerns. You can come up here with your doubts. Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. This is where we come with those things. So we're not a club where we gather around shared interests or ideologies. When we first launched our church, we had a large ethnic group join at one time, and their ethnic group was used to doing church a certain way. And they did certain things. And we're like, yep, yeah, nope, we're not going camping. I'm not, that's not in the game plan at all. Well, we should do this. Like, mm, not what we're doing. We're here to preach Jesus Christ and get people saved. That's all we're doing right now in this season. We're getting people saved. I got an idea. Let's go do that. We're not doing that. That's not what we're doing. We're preaching because of their ethnicity was so tied into church. They expected church to be doing what their ethnicity does. And so if you grew up in Haitian church or you grew up in Spanish church or you grew up in a, in a Caribbean church or even black American church or even white church, you're expected certain things happen be based on the ethnicity. And, and, and here's what I would lovingly submit to you. If you grew up in a church that was mostly one ethnicity, there's a good chance that a big part of your Christianity reflects your ethnicity more than necessarily the kingdom of God. Can I, can I, can I, can I say that? We don't recognize that we put our, our, our cultural experience onto God, and it's hard for us to extract our cultural expectations from who God is. I'll give you an example, even though I shouldn't. I should just move on to my next point anyways. And, I, and I've given this one before. Um, when, when, um, when there were a lot of racial issues happening in South Florida, I took it personally because I have a race, right? And I, and I think racism is bad. Yeah. And I had people call me who were concerned about my posts. Uh, well, I had people like Ed in the back over here who told me I was being mean. I need to take mean things down, which I'm thankful for. Thank you, Jesus. Don't be mean. He's like, don't be mean. That's not godly. I'm like, all right, I won't be mean. I won't be mean, right? He's like, the content's fine, just the tone, the tone is bad. I'm like, all right, I'll stop. Uh, and, and then... Uh, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, shout out to Ed. Let me tell you this. It didn't keep anybody from canceling me, but, uh, but I'm thankful for it. But then I had other well-meaning, loving pastors tell me I should stop talking about that. And I would tell them, um, are there any people of color in your church? No, you, you, you have a very white church in the middle of America, and none of this matters to your people because it doesn't affect them. I don't have that luxury that I get to just ignore racial issues. At my own home, I can't ignore racial issues, right? My family's made like this. Ma so to you, this seems like, why would Carl risk all his social capital for this? Because to me, it's pretty close to the gospel. For you, you could live without it. To me, it's important because your culture has not shown you that this is important. Does this make sense? There's a, there's a church that I, like, ah, God, Carl. Oh, I'm going to say this anyways. I'm just going to go there. I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm not going there. Hallelujah. Amen. The next thing, next thing. Church is not called, church is not an interest group. Church is not, well, this is, this is, I've got them out of order, but that's all right. The church is not called to judge the world. We are not called to be the morality police for the, for the lost. That is not our job. The, 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 the telling the world how we think they should be good, the church has kind of specialized in that in the last couple of years. And I don't know if you've noticed, it's not going well. I'm going to give a very specific example. Please don't be offended by this. I, I've made no um, 
I make no excuse that I'm, that I'm pro-life. Um, I just, I believe people should live. I don't care if you're five months in the womb or 95 and you have cancer or if you killed 20 people, I don't believe we should kill you. I'm, I'm just, I'm just pro-life, right? I'm not talking about the medical things. There's, you know, this non-viable and we have procedure not talking to me. That's not life. That's a, that's, that's a nuanced conversation, right? The church got really involved in this pro-life abortion movement um, politically, got, sat, got outside of our realm and decided to get involved in politics, right? Um, and the Republicans were, were, became very pro-life. The Democrats were like, we're not sure what to do because we don't want to be pro-abortion because that's just weird, but we got to be against the Republicans, right? Uh, and so, can we, can we just be honest? And so, and so the right, the political right in America, this, this gained them so much power that they kind of all coalesced around this, this one subject, which caused the Democrats to coalesce around this subject to a large degree. And now it has become so polarizing because the right have become such the morality police. Now Democrats are running on pro-abortion and winning seats in Congress and governorships. This is, this is backfired tremendously on the right. This is like Joe Biden is now running on pro-abortion in the day where they would say we want it to be rare but, but legal. Now they're just like anybody should get an abortion whenever they want. And, and you may feel that way and, and I'm not trying to make a political stance. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to say is when the church tries to be morality police, it blows up in our face because that is not our role. And we're watching it. Watch the, watch the, you know, I'm a prophetic voice. I see this happening. If you watch what's happening in politics right now, Democrats are shouting from the rooftops, we're the pro-abortion party and people are flocking to it because they don't want to vote for the morality police. And so they, and so it's blowing up. And so anytime we get into the, we're going to regulate the world's, the world's behavior, it does not work out well for the church. That is not our call. Our call is to get people saved and let the Holy Ghost convict people of righteousness. That is our job. I, I, I believe, amen. 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 I believe if you follow Jesus and you're living a life of following Jesus, you're far less likely to have an unwanted pregnancy and your child is more likely to be raised in a home where it's wanted, right? Like that's, this is God's plan, I believe. That is, so amen. Uh, and, and so many people find, many churches these days that get the most publicity, they find their identity in judging the world. And they're, they're angry. They're yelling about the world and they preach against Taylor Swift. And I'm like, she's, of all the things, why are you angry about Taylor? I don't, I don't, I don't listen to her, but I don't get it. Maybe it's because I don't listen to her. I don't know, but I don't, I don't get it. But we, we aren't called, hear me, the church, we're not called to be good. We're not called to be good and we're not called to tell the world to be good. We're called to be holy. Amen. We are called to seek holiness and to live holy lives. And you know what? The world can't be holy because they aren't saved. They're not in the church. We've got to stop telling them to act holy and get them saved so they can be holy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That, that is our job, not to be the morality police, but to help people become holy. The church is not a public service organization. Like I talked about with, with this Iris ministry, wait a minute, we've gone from being a revival movement to a public service organization. We feed the poor, 
But the church was not created to feed the poor. We, we help those who with depression and anxiety, but that's not what we were created for. We were created to help people know Jesus and to become holy. And as you are drawn to Jesus, your heart will naturally be for those who are less fortunate, who are in the margins. That is a fruit of the Spirit. But if it's not a fruit of the Spirit and it becomes our identity, we lose Jesus entirely. We are... The church is not a self-help group. It's not a self-help group, right? Like, oh, pastor, people have money problems. We need to preach the Dave Ramsey thing. No, we are not here to teach you how to manage your money. That is not what the church is about. The church is not about teaching you how to be happy. We're not here to teach you to have a better sex life. Or the church is not, not here to, so that you can actualize the full version of who you really want to be and mitigate it. No, it's about Jesus Christ and the world he came to save. It's about a man who lived without sin, who died on a cross, who was raised on the third day and ascended into heaven. And whoever believes in that resurrection shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is what it's about. Now, the society today wants therapy, wants self-help, so you have pulpits filled with self-help talk. That's not what the church was created for. Now, I hope what I say is helpful. I hope that the wisdom that comes from the, from the Word of God and from the man of God is helpful to your life, but that is not the point of church. We don't sit in a room and think, well, what do people really want? Well, I think they want to be able to afford a vacation, but they can't afford one. Well, let's teach them how to manage their money so they can have a vacation. All right, how do we tack that onto Jesus? Well, um, Jesus went on trips and he had enough money, so we'll say, no, that is not what we do. That's not what the church is about. That is not what the church is about. Amen. Amen. And the church is not one single person. There is this teaching that a man in a Bible is a church. No, you're not going to find that anywhere in the word. It is not what the church is. That's not what it ever was. The church is us. The church is always a plural. It is a people. And so I just very quickly want to jump back into Ephesians 3.8 and read the scripture again. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Oh, good Lord, Jesus. Uh, I, I just want to repent to you now about that quick message thing. I just, I, you know, it, it, the church is a place of accountability. <clears throat> I have a couple good points. I'm going to try to get through them quickly. Ephesians 3.8 and 10. Let's see this again. It says, to me... And uh, grab this for me, uh, change it as I'm reading this. To me, the very least of all saints, grace was given, now stay here for a second, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches in Christ. There is something that Paul said, I get from Jesus, and I give it to the people by speaking the word. There is something supernatural about sitting under the preached word that you cannot get anywhere else. Paul said that, Something supernatural is happening. Next verse, please. And to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is. Oh, there's a lot going on right there. But there is a revelation that happens under the preached word that Paul says in the community. When he preaches that word, people are enlightened. And the, this mysterious plan that God has for the world somehow is born in your heart. It just supernaturally is formed in ways we don't even really uh, able to, don't have language to articulate. This mystery which is for ages has been hidden in God 
who created all things, verse 10, so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I'm going to say that last part again because it's super important. That the multifaceted wisdom of God now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I meet a lot of Christians who go through hard times and stop going to church um, because they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not really feeling it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, there, there are things you can only get free of in church. There are rulers in heavenly places that are oppressing people that they will only get free when they decide, I'm going to join the church. Because the word here says that that, that, that multifaceted wisdom comes through the church to rulers in heavenly places. You see, there's something that happens right here that does not happen out there. When you're sitting next to someone who has been praying for breakthrough in a certain area and they don't even know why, it's because it was for you. And at that moment, at the end of the Apostles' Creed, and we lay hands on one another, your breakthrough could be waiting right there. I hope you come in prophetically. Lord, who's got the breakthrough on their hands for me today? Who needs the breakthrough I have on my hands today? There is something that happens collectively through the preached word, through the gathering of the saints, through the testimony, through the worship, that does not happen in the world. God said through His word here that it comes through the church. The church is God's plan to manifest His goodness and power to the world. And again, let me read this one more time, what Eugene Peterson and I wrote together. Uh, Church is the gathering of a community who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. It is a gathering of a community. And the best definition of community that I've come up with, it's the place where people keep showing up. That's what a community is. It's a place where people keep showing up. And this is who we need to be. And this is one of the most countercultural things we can do in the world today. This is the beloved community. I'm going to go through this very quickly. I was reading in The Atlantic, which is one of the premier uh, publications in our nation today. And in that, there was this article that says, Why Americans Suddenly Stopped Hanging Out. There is a, uh, a sociological thing happening that people do less stuff together than they ever have. People are more isolated, excuse me, isolated than ever. Pew Research found that teens are more depressed now than they ever have been. There's record depression. Why? Because part of this trend that's been happening is a great trend in less socialization. Uh, if you ever um, read the book, uh, there's, it's what's called Third Places, And uh, there is this end of third places in our society today. Uh, Historically, there's been your home was your first place. Uh, Your work, or if you're younger, school was your second place. And then everybody had a third place. Uh, You had the bowling league. You had the Kiwanis Club. You had church. And the Pew Research showed that church historically has been one of the most fundamentally sound third places that people found socialization and identity. But in the great de-churching, many people not only lost their faith, they lost uh, a connection to a community of people. They lost their third place. And they found that Americans are more depressed than ever. And at the same time, this depression trends along with isolation. As people are more isolated, we're finding people to be more depressed. And, and not for nothing, we're seeing more social anxiety now than we ever have before. 
Because people are not being raised to be socialized. Children are being raised in isolated lives and as adults don't know how to navigate crowds. Like you learn in church. Like you learn how to interact with elders and how you interact with that person who stands too close and when they talk, you know what I mean? Like you, you learn how to navigate. You, you have small group and you sit in somebody's living room or you go to the potluck. We're going to have our anniversary uh, uh, gathering uh, after Easter coming up and we're going to all bring up something. Nowadays, we were like, oh, bring something. Oh, I don't know how to deal with that. Let me just leave. Let me tell you. <laughs> Through Christ Jesus... You can stand in a line and make a plate with somebody else. I feel like the power of God from heaven can empower you to show up, to show up and be present, to just show up and be present. Um, what, what, what the reachers found was, um, of all the things separ- uh, replacing socialization time, and you all know this, it's screen time. Screen time has replaced socialization time um, and, and, you know, like the, like the, like the memes say, you know, when I grew up, we used to play out there. That, that's what we play out there. What are you doing? We're going to be out there, right? Like we're just going to be out with people. And now people just, we, for hours, just here's, here's, here's my life. It's just me in this screen. And as soon as something's uncomfortable, I just swipe. As soon as something comes across my face that I may not want to listen to, swipe. And here's a friend that I love and I care about who I find out has a different view on abortion than I do and I can't swipe. What do I do? We ghost. It is the opposite of what a healthy community looks like. Where I can actually communicate with people I disagree with and continue an agape relationship in the beloved community. You see, you see how, this, this, how God created this thing for our mental health. Yeah. I'm able to navigate with people that don't look just like me or think just like me. Now, I don't, I don't think, the, the, the researcher said this, I don't think hanging out will solve every problem, but I do think every social crisis in the U.S. could be helped somewhat if people spent a little more time with other people and a little less time gazing into digital content that's designed to make us anxious and despondent about the world. Why is there a group of people who hate Taylor Swift? Because there is a media algorithm that makes them hate Taylor Swift. And they are fed content to hate someone that they will never meet. And definitely is not thinking about them, right? Here, and here's what it all comes down to in this message series. We need a place of gathering where we practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. There are problems with the church in America today. I had, I had, I had an, uh, an L, a leader one time come to me. It was after COVID. And you could tell they just spent too much time online and not enough time in the word. And they're like having a mental breakdown. They're like, well, the church has just damaged so many people. I'm like, really? Like, can you name four people you know that our church have been damaged by the church? Uh, uh, I'm like, bro, back away from the computer a little bit and come back into reality. Come into reality. We need, I understand the church has problems, 
but far more help than problems because the presence of God is here. We need the beloved community. The church needs you. We need you with your gifts. We need you with most of your problems, right? Not necessarily all your problems, but we do. But we need one another. I need you to hear this. And I'm, I'm coming to an end. Let me get the band to come up. I'm coming to an end here. And we're going we're gonna to worship and then we're going to leave. Um, <clears throat> I, I need you to hear this. <clears throat> if there are no sick people in the church, we don't need any healers. I'll get that later. Um, I need you to hear this. I really need you to hear this. This, is, um, uh, this, is, this might be the biggest point I have to make here today. The beloved community, the beloved community is to be a, 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 a community of healers, a community of lovers, a community of greeters, a community of friends, a community of encouragers. But that only happens if people come who they really are needing encouraged, needing to be loved, needing to be healed, needing to become whole. God sent all these gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the church into the world, expecting that people are going to show up and be real that we would feel loved in what this Martin Luther King called this agape community this community where true love can be realized where we don't judge one another on surface judgments but we would embody what our framers call that all men were created equal and so I may be on a mountaintop today and you may be in a valley but my mountaintop, I have, a, I have a leverage, an advantage point to throw you a rope and pull you up to the mountaintop I'm on. Amen. Amen. And, and, and that person in the valley reminds me that but for the grace of God, that's where I would be as well. And I can be the healing hand that is needed in this coming season. Did you see I changed the song we're doing? Oh, excellent. Text him. He's like, I'll know that right now. Uh, and so very quickly, and then we're going to worship. Stand with me. I'm going to tell you six things the church are, and then we're going to sing. The church is a worshiping community. And I have scriptures for all this, but I've gone too long already. And we'll talk about this in the future. The church, you know what? I'm going to say, and just say amen, and then I can move on. The church is a worshiping community. Amen. God is at the center of what we do, and we are here to worship him. The church is a place of refuge. There's a world out there that celebrates death and destruction, but we come in here to gather around and live out the resurrection. The church is a loving community. Out there, we're judged on what you can add to someone else's life, the value you can add to them, how you can help them become wealthy. But in here, you are loved because you're created in the image of your father. The church is a disciple-making community. We care enough about people to walk through new people into where we are at. We are, and this is something that I'm 
formulating even more now, we are going to be a community of disciples who make disciples. Amen? Amen. The church is a hopeful community. The world wants us to be scared of what's coming, but we know that God is able. And the church is a victorious community. We can overcome anything the enemy sends because we know that our God is able. Colossians 1.28, Paul said this, we proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. This is what we do in the church. And let me tell you this, when the saints of God gather together and worship God, there is a supernatural presence that can transform our world. Can you say amen? Amen. Let me pray before we get into worship with every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you so much that you are a living God. Hallelujah. That you are alive and that you are moving and you are adding people to your church. Lord, I thank you that it is your desire that none should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of God. It is your desire that we would have freedom over the devil, freedom over wickedness, freedom over every oppression, Lord, for those who are oppressing and those who are oppressed, Father. It is your desire that we would walk in freedom and in love, in hope, that we would walk in a way that we know that God is with us. And Father, I would ask right now, in the name of Jesus, for any person who finds themselves away from God this morning, that they would be courageous enough to say, I am ready to dedicate my life to Jesus and join the beloved community. I recognize that I cannot be a church on my own, but that I need Jesus in my life. I have sinned and come short of God's best. And I need Jesus to forgive me. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed in the room between me and you, I'm not going to call you to do anything. This is private between you and Jesus and me. I want to pray for those. If you know that sin has separated you from God right now, or you're away from God, you once walked with Him, but now you aren't walking with Him. If uh, there was a time you were on fire for God, and now you are cold, and you want to have that fire reignited again. There was a time you won the lost, but today you're not winning the lost, and you're ready to repent and come back to your first love. Between me and you, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just put your hand up and down so I can see who I'm praying for in this room. In this room. Yes, I see you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Anybody else in this room want to pray with me? Yes, I see you. You can put your hand down. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to say this prayer and then we're going to worship. Then we're going to worship. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you save. Father, that you forgive. And I declare since these have confessed their sins that you are good and faithful to forgive them of their sins. And Father, you would, you would seal them with your Holy Spirit. You would come upon them in power right now. That you would come upon them in power and begin to move in their lives and add them to the church so that they can be part of this beloved community in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. Come on, let's just sing this out loud together.